Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I trust you and your family are doing well. We are still talking about the call of God, and uh, we are continuing on talking about the ministry of the evangelist. We are talking, uh, you know, in this subject, we have talked about how God calls people, and we talked about preparation for the call and we also talked about the character development and development in the knowledge of the word of god and how to be you know how to develop in the um, in the holy spirit in the work of the holy spirit in our lives and through our lives then i talked about supportive ministries that are uh, that are really the mainstay of the body of christ the churches and and missions in in every uh, aspect of ministry in the body of Christ, supportive ministries are so important. Nothing would run without the supportive ministries. And these supportive ministries are also, some people call them uh, helps ministries. Uh, other people call them um, um, call them lay people, but and, you know, and, they, and they all are good, but I prefer to call them supportive ministries. And then, um, then we begin to talk about the fivefold ministry gifts, and I talked about the uh, the apostle and the prophet, and now we are talking about the evangelist. And and so um, I was giving examples yesterday uh, from scriptures about uh, just about the preaching of the gospel, how Jesus preached the gospel, and uh, how the apostles preached the gospel, how the how the evangelist, uh, his ministry is to carry the gospel message. And so we are going to, uh, we're, we're going to talk more about it later on, but let us continue now uh, with, this, with, with some scriptures here that I would like to share with you. And, and by the way, I must mention this, that if uh, these teachings have been a blessing to you, uh, please do drop me a, a note, just drop me a line and write to me. Uh, you can either um, send me a comment uh, or you can go to our um, ministry uh, Facebook page, which is Dynamis World Ministries, D-Y-N-A-M-I-S World Ministries. Uh, or, uh, you know, you could just send me an email or whatever. Just send me a message. So it's always good to have some feedback and to hear how you have been blessed and uh, and then also uh, what other subjects uh, you want to be taught, just let me know. Uh, because we have got teachings on, apart from the call of God, uh, we have put uh, teachings on, uh, uh, on uh, grace and faith, in which I talk about the subjects of grace and the subject of faith, and I put them together because I believe they're inseparable. And to be fully understood, we must teach grace and faith together. Then I talked about the... Uh, Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then I talked about um, new creation realities and healing. And that is the subject uh, which is called, uh, uh, you know, we actually, I think it's got 37 lessons altogether. Uh, and it's called the realities of redemption. And there's over 30 lessons in there on healing, uh, healing in the Old Testament, healing uh, in the ministry of Jesus and healing of the ministry, healings to the ministry of the apostle and how you and I can minister to the sick and also uh, dealing with uh, difficult subjects as, as to what to do when people are not healed, why are some people not healed and how we can help people actually receive the healing and so on and so forth. You can go there. I've got 
I've got about seven different subjects so far uh, on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, which is uh, Dunamis World Ministries, or you can just write Christopher Alam as one word, Christopher Alam 1. If you just write Christopher Alam and the number one, you'll come to it and you can subscribe to it. And I have got, uh, I think right now I've got more than 180 videos up and more to come. I'm putting one up every day. But anyway, let's get along with our lesson. And, <coughs> and uh, we're talking about the ministry of the evangelist. And uh, let's look at uh, Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And uh, here we see Jesus preaching a simple uh, four point message. And the first thing he said, the time is fulfilled. In other words, the time is now. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off until tomorrow. The time is fulfilled. And, and you know, there's an urgency built into the gospel message because the thing is that uh, no man knows when his time will come to leave this world. Uh, and, um, and, and so this is the time for people to get saved. Today, this is what I always tell people, this is the time Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off until tomorrow and don't say next week, but this is the moment of decision. So Jesus said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, which means that the kingdom of God is here. It is not a, the kingdom of God isn't a, isn't a, a diffuse kind of uh, strange unknown entity and we don't know where it is and when it is coming but Jesus said that the kingdom of God is at hand and we are living in the time the kingdom of God is here uh, right now the blessings of the kingdom the life of the kingdom everything that is in God's kingdom are accessible to people right now and people can can live in the fullness of the blessings of the kingdom of God here and now on this earth and today. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent means, actually the word repent means to change your mind, but it doesn't mean change your mind in the sense that, hmm, you know what, uh, uh, I don't like Coca-Cola. I think I have Fanta instead. It's not that kind of change of mind. Changing of mind means a total turnaround uh, in your inner being, uh, which results in a, a turnaround in the way you think and in the way you live. Repent means to turn from darkness and turn to God. That's what it means in practical terms. And uh, it means, it actually means to change your mind. But what it, it means in reality is, is that uh, you, 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 you basically experience a turnaround in your heart, in your mind. Uh, and, and it's a change, it's a new way of thinking. And so what happens is that that, uh, that change of mind results in you changing the direction of your life, changing everything. That means if you're living in sin, you say no to sin and you turn around and begin to follow Jesus and said, that is repentance. Repentance isn't just a mental thing, but it is, it is something that results in, your, in, a, in a response from your entire being. And that is true repentance. True repentance always results 
in a change in your actions in a, in in your life so it says repent that means you turn around and believe in the gospel believe in the good news the good news of jesus christ first corinthians 121 it says for since in the wisdom of god the world did not know god through wisdom it pleased god through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe so he says in the wisdom of god the world did not know god through wisdom that means that over the ages uh, philosophers and thinkers have tried to figure out God uh, through their philosophy, through their, think, uh, through, uh, through their theories and through their thoughts. And even today, I run into people who are deep thinkers and they try to, uh, you know, philosophize about God and try to come to some conclusions about who God is and what he's like. But the Bible says that the world through wisdom, through human wisdom, cannot know God, but it pleased God that people should be saved, that people are saved through the folly of what we believe. And the folly of what we believe is basically the gospel which, uh, uh, which uh, is, is an offense to the thinking person. Let me, let, me, uh, let, let me put it this way. It's an offense to the thinking person and why God designed it as such so that not the, uh, uh, because otherwise, only the only thinking people could receive Jesus, could receive salvation because they would understand the intricacies of metaphysics and the, and the, um, you know the the all the intricacies of the way uh, of God's thinking and 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 uh, resulting in salvation. But God wanted to make His salvation, forgiveness of sin, eternal life to everybody. To the most uneducated person, uh, to to the smallest child, as well as the most educated person here on earth, God wanted to make it uh, available to everybody. So that's why God chose to <coughs> save man through one simple thing, one single thing. That means the message of Christ crucified, which is foolishness to modern intellectual man. It is foolishness in the sense that here look just think of it we preach this is what we preach this is what we believe that jesus christ who is the son of god came to this world born of a virgin and that he lived a sinless life and that he was whipped and bruised and beaten crowned with thorns and he was crucified and when he was upon the cross being crucified, he will, he bore all of our sins, your sins and my sins, the sins of entire mankind were put upon him and bearing the sins of all mankind, he died, they put his body in a grave, but he, his spirit descended down, to his, uh, he descended down to Hades and then he rose up from the dead on the third day and he ascended to heaven and he is at the right hand of God interceding for us and he is going to come back soon. Now that message, it makes no sense to the intellectual man, but th that is why the world calls it foolishness. So that is why Paul is saying that it has pleased God to save man not through the intellectualizations of the intellectual man, but it has pleased God to save mankind through this message, this simple message, which appears to be utter foolishness 
to the world. So we have been uh, given this message which to the world is folly, but God has chosen that it is through the folly of the preaching of go the gospel that man should be saved. But the interesting thing about this folly, this so-called folly, this message of foolishness is that this is the only message that the Holy Spirit endorses so that whenever this message is preached, the Holy Spirit gets to work in the hearts of those who hear, bringing within them a conviction that I must be saved. And that is why people respond to this gospel message by the thousands, by the millions all over the world. And people are receiving the gift of eternal life, which is not just them praying a prayer and, uh, and receiving Christ, but when they receive Christ by faith, there is a change in the inward man which shows up in their character and in their behavior and their speech and the outward man. So people can say, this person is truly saved and you can actually see the fruits in people's lives. And all this because of this gospel message, which to the world is foolishness, but God has chosen that it is to the folly of what we preach that men should be saved. And in, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 8 verse 1, it says, Soon afterwards he went through cities and villages, that is talking about the Lord Jesus, proclaiming, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. That means his twelve disciples were with him. And Matthew 9 verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So, you know, this is interesting because he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and he healed every disease and affliction. This is because healing is a part and parcel of the gospel because sin and disease <coughs> came together at the fall of man and the remedy for both sin and disease are found in Jesus at the cross because right there he bore our sins and carried our diseases. Psalms 103 puts it very aptly. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So the remedy uh, like sin and disease came to the sin of Adam, but uh, the remedy for sin and disease, that is salvation and healing are also through Jesus because Jesus preached the gospel and he healed the sick and upon the cross he paid the price for both our sin and carried our diseases. That is why salvation and healing always go hand in hand. Amen. And if you want to ask why are more people saved and fewer people healed, simple reason, because people will only receive that which you preach. And normally forgiveness of sin is preached more than healing. That is why more people get their sins forgiven than healed. And when, but when we bring our gospel message to the level where we preach both forgiveness of sin and healing from disease as equal partners going hand in hand, that is when you will begin to see many, many, many people healed and many, many, many people saved because faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God, and people will only have faith for those things that is preached to them. Anyway, um, 
First Corinthians chapter 1, 17 and 18. It says, uh, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power for the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for us who are saved, it is the power of God. So what, what he's saying is that Jesus, uh, these, these are the words of the Apostle Paul, that Christ called, sent him to preach the gospel and not just with words of eloquent wisdom, because then the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power, because uh, a gospel that is totally intellectual is emptied of its power. For the preaching of the cross, it's when the, we preach the cross, not uh, 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 the philosophy of Christianity, preach with eloquence because many people tend to do that. They preach the philosophy of Christianity or presenting Christianity as an alternative way of life or an alternative way of thinking or why Christianity is a better religion than other religions. And Paul says that's not what we preach, but we preach the cross. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Hallelujah. So um, then in Second Corinthians chapter 4, actually, let, I just want to go back to this and dwell on this a couple of minutes. Now, uh, why, you know why he wrote this to the Corinthians was this. There's an interesting, interesting bit of history behind this because you see the first place in the European continent that Paul preached the gospel was in Athens. And uh, Paul, you know, Paul was a very sharp, educated man and <coughs> he could match wisdom with the wisest philosophers of his day. So when Paul came to Athens and he saw how Athens was a seat of Greek philosophy, so he sat with the philosophers and he, he, he used his intellectual abilities to, to bring Christianity. He, he discussed Christianity and the salvation of man through Jesus at a philosophic, philosophical level with the Greek philosophers, but he did not make any headway uh, because he engaged them to philosophy, pretty much like the seeker-friendly movement of today, where you engage people intellectually, but without the power of the Holy Spirit. So that is what Paul did. So he did not make any headway, but from Athens, he felt like he had failed in his mission. From there, he went to Corinth and when he went to Corinth, he decided he was not going to make the same mistake as he has made in Athens. So in Corinth, he did not engage people in philosophy, in philosophical debates and discussion and discourse. But what he did, he decided, I'm going to preach the cross here. And he preached the cross and there was an explosion of the power of God with signs, wonders and miracles and people came to Jesus. So he planted a church in, in Corinth and that church, you know, two letters, two of his epistles, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians were written to the church in, Cor in Corinth. And they were two of his longest epistles. Two of his longest and, uh, you know, epistles were written to the church in Corinth. Whereas there is no epistle written to the church of Athens because he hardly, hardly had any result at all in Athens. So that is why he 
he writes to the Corinthians and he refers to that Athenian experience of his. He said that Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom because that's what he had done in Athens. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. What he's saying is that, listen, I've been there, I've done that. A gospel that is without the cross is emptied of its power. For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He says, I used to think that the preaching of the cross was foolishness to uh, uh, you know uh, that, that 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 you know to the intellectual man, but now I realize that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is the power of God. So that is why I came to you preaching the cross. Anyway, Second Corinthians four five, uh, four verse five. It says, "For what we proclaim is not ourselves." but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, this is interesting because Paul was an apostle, but he was also an evangelist. He was also a teacher. As I said earlier, that the ministry of an apostle contains uh, elements of the other ministry gifts. So what he's saying is that when we, when I, when we, I preach to you, we did not proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. A true evangelist is not about himself or his ministry, but his message is Jesus Christ. That is what he will hold to the forefront. In modern day um, Western Christianity, especially in America, and that American way of thinking that has uh, we see in Europe and a lot of it in Africa. It is all about the man. It is about his ministry and his name and very little about his message. The man, the messenger is more important than, and than the message. That's what it is. If you look at all the big ministries in America and, uh, and you see that in Africa and it is beginning to come to other parts of the world too. It's all about the man all about his message and I've seen it all over the world. It's like a disease that has gone around. So uh, it is about the man, but very little is known about the message. And everybody knows the man, the name of the man and the publicity is about the man and about his ministry. And people talk about how great he is. But Paul says that we do not proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. He says it's not about us, it's not about the messenger, but it is in the message because the power to save, the power to set people free is in the message. And what about us? We are your servants for Jesus Christ. We are servants, we carry the message and we are basically uh, like servers, like waiters who bring the food to the table. It's not about the waiter, it's about the food. So he says that... <coughs> We don't proclaim or present ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as his servants for Jesus' sake. And then in Mark chapter 13, verse 10, these are the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. The gospel must, fir the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. That is the number one priority that first of all, we have to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed to all nations. And Luke 10 verse 2, and he said to them, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly 
to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, the, the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few. Do you know that only a very small percentage, less than, if you look at the ministry, those who are in full-time ministry, it's, I think it's less than, it's around 2% uh, in the Western world. Uh, I'm talking about Europe and America combined and Australia, all those countries. Of all those who are in full-time ministry, only about one or two percent are reaching the lost. I mean, are in a place where there's lost people and they're reaching the lost. The rest of the ministries uh, are basically serving the church. And uh, when it comes to the finances, uh, I mean, I know churches that give a substantial portion of their income to to the gospel. I've got friends who do that, uh, and uh, I don't want to mention their names, but I've got personal close friends who have passed churches, and they actually give a substantial, a large portion of the finances of their ministry, of their churches to the gospel. But um, most... Uh, most um, churches don't do that. Sometimes it's maybe 1% goes out to missions, you know, 1%, less than 1%, half percent goes out to world missions because everything is spent within the church and very few finances, uh, very small percentage of their finances go out to reach the lost. I mean, that is the general state of the church today. And uh, in fact, uh, I mean, some of the um, greatest ministries preaching prosperity who have who bring in millions and millions of dollars they spent uh, uh, they some of them give 10% of their income to missions which is commendable but the question is the other 90% the other rest of the 90% is spent in-house uh, but uh, but the thing is that um, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. So because of the harvest being plenteous, that means there's millions, billions of souls who are lost without Jesus. We got to put, it's not just about our money, but our lives. And we must pray that God sends more people out into the harvest because just spending, sending money to the missions field won't cut it. But we must send out men and women who are anointed to preach the gospel out to the missions field. And in Romans chapter 10, verses uh, 11 to 18 says, For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth him, him shall not be ashamed. That means anybody, anybody in any nation of any nationality who believes in Jesus, he shall be saved. He shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto them that call upon him. Now, this is a, a departure from the old way of thinking in which God basically cared only for the Jews and the rest were all Gentiles and they were outsiders. But it says that according to the gospel, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The gospel doesn't elevate the Jew over the Greek. Judaism does that. It elevates the Jew over the Greek. And so you're a Jew, you're a God's chosen person, but you are a heathen, you're a nobody. But in the gospel, it says there's no difference between Jew and Greek. They are the same. They are the level, the playing field is level. They're both equal for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So what it means is that there's no difference between Jew and Greek in the eyes of God, according to the gospel. And both Jew and Greek 
need salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no Jews cannot be saved through the Old Testament. There's a heresy going around these days called the dual covenant teaching in which which basically says that Jews have their own way to God through the Old Covenant. That's a heresy. Uh, it has been around since the Middle Ages. It's not true. It's not real because first of all, Jews and he and the heathen they both need to be saved secondly they can both only be saved through the blood of jesus christ there's no other way to salvation uh, than than through the uh, than through jesus christ but then it also says but the same lord overall is rich unto all that call upon him that means both whether it is jews or it is gentiles god is rich and god is generous and god is gracious to all who call upon him, even if they're Jews or even if they're heathen. So it says that, but then it says verse 14, here it comes down to it. But then, but how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they call him if they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear about a preacher without a preacher? Which means that these people who have not believed in Jesus, how shall they believe unless they first hear? And how shall they hear unless someone is sent to preach to them? And verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? It means that people cannot hear unless they are taught, unless they are told, and they cannot be told unless there's somebody telling them. And how can a preacher Tell them unless the preachers are sent as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Uh, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Hallelujah. So what he's saying is that both Jew and Greek, they can only be saved through the gospel. But God is merciful and he is merciful and gracious to save anybody who calls on his name, whether they be Jew or Greek. But then how will they call on him who they have not believed? And then it says, but how will they believe unless someone tells them? But how can someone tell them unless there is someone to tell them, uh, unless there's a preacher? But how can the preachers tell them unless the preachers are sent? And that's where we come back to that we must send evangelists into the field. It's not enough just to pray for laborers. It's not enough just to pray for people to be saved. Many people say, oh, we are praying for people to be saved. It is not enough for people to be saved, but we must send people to preach the gospel so that people can be saved. And how is that done? Well, there's uh, three things we can do. We can either go, go, Secondly, if we can't go, we send our money, we send our financial resources. And the third thing is done with the second is we pray. Just prayer is not enough. You either go or you give. And when you give, you pray, you send your money and your prayers with it. So that is why every church, every individual has to be involved in winning souls for Jesus. We have to send people out to the field, out to the harvest field. We must raise up evangelists and send them out to bring in the harvest to win souls for Jesus. We must that. 
must do that. This is the urgency of the hour. We must send out evangelists to the harvest field to win souls for Jesus and we must support them financially, meet their needs so that they have the resources in their hands to get the job done. And I challenge every pastor, I challenge every believer, Christian believer who's thinking this way, uh, who's listening to me to think this way because it has to be done because this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to every nation and then shall the end come. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, this is the end of the, sub, uh, of, the, uh, of the segment on the evangelist. And tomorrow uh, we are going to talk about uh, the pastor. This is going to be an interesting study. I have, I have studied and I found a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting uh, subject material on the ministry of the pastor that I want to share with you tomorrow. But let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your hand upon my brothers and sisters. Use them mightily for your glory. Let them be soul winners and bring many souls into your kingdom. And also use them to support missionaries, support evangelists who are out in the harvest field to win souls, Father. I pray for these pastors, Father, for churches that you use them mightily to raise up soul winners, raise up evangelists and send them out, Father. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy upon us. Thank you that you have entrusted us with your gospel message, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you have counted us faithful. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Well, God bless you, and I'll see you tomorrow.